miss what God wants you to see? You ever think there are things that God might want for you that you just somehow you just don't see it, you don't get it, you don't understand it? I think that happens. I, I want to be careful for myself that I don't miss the thing that God has for me. The late Helen Keller, the woman who overcame profound deafness and blindness and an inability to speak, she once said something I thought was quite profound. She said, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. I don't know about you, but, but with my ADD, a lot of things distract me and they catch my attention, right? I'm one of those people that, that squirrel, right? Jump onto those other things. But I want to have a sense of focus where I don't miss the thing that God wants me to see. And I want that for us as a church. I want that for you as a person. I want us to have our eyes upon Jesus, like the old song said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, I really do want us to see things. I want to see people the way Jesus saw them. I want to see problems the way Jesus saw them, opportunities the way that Jesus saw them. I want to see things through the eyes of Jesus more and the eyes of Marty less. But I wonder, how do I do that? How do we do that? How do we, how do we fix our eyes on Jesus, as the Bible tells us? How do we gain a new sense of focus? You know, some of you might have been wondering why these last three weeks we've been looking at the Old Testament so much in this series on clarity over chaos. Now, there are a couple of reasons why. One of those reasons was that a lot of folks started the new year in a Bible reading program, and you wanted to read through the whole Bible this year, and I applaud that. I hope you're doing that. So you were reading in Genesis, and it made sense that we would study that. But there's another reason to look back. It has a lot to do with what happens when you look in a mirror. Now, I don't know, teenagers sometimes get really close to a mirror to examine acne or to practice kissing or whatever teenagers do. And maybe you get really close to your mirror sometimes, but more often than that, you need to take a few steps back from a mirror. And when you take a few steps back, you see the whole picture much more clearly. And you say to yourself, man, this outfit just did not work as well as I thought it was going to work. Or you think something else when you look at it. You get a better, a better image, if you will, a more complete understanding at a distance sometimes than you get really up close. Now, we live here in this moment we're in, and we, we, can barely, we, we barely can understand what's happening around us. We see that, what's happening right now, but we don't have a lot of understanding of all of it. And we have a really poor chance of understanding the future. We have to give our best guess to what's coming but when we look backwards, we actually can get some clarity, and we can see some things about God, about people that apply to our situation now and the situation that's to come. So Jesus bringing clarity and looking back at how God has brought clarity in the past, well, maybe, just maybe, that will give us some insights into how Jesus brings clarity today and how God brings clarity into our life today. If you have your Bibles or your device, I'd ask you to turn to Mark chapter 8, and I want us to take a look at another interesting text. Just like last week's text, where there are people that read those texts about Babel and those things, they don't really know how to handle that, they have different ideas. This text today, well, it seems like it's inconsistent with other stories we have in the Bible. I mean, didn't Jesus feed 5,000? Here are the numbers 4,000. What's going on in the story? So let's look at it. Mark chapter 8. And let's take a look at what Jesus calls our attention to. 
what our focus should be. Let's see how he brings clarity into these circumstances. Mark 8 says, During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. He said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse in the way because some of them have come a long distance. By the way, I just want to say this right now. Any of, the, any of you that your spouse might say to you on a long drive home, you know, let's just get home, and you say, no, let's stop and get something to eat. Jesus was on the side of those who want to stop and get something to eat before they go home. I'm just saying. His disciples answered him. They said, we're in a remote place. It was like they were saying to Jesus, look around. Don't you see? There's nothing here. Look around. There's nothing in this place. It's remote. He said, how can anyone get enough bread to feed these people? And Jesus asked him, well, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied. So then Jesus told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present, and after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to another region. Now, don't panic. This is a separate story. Just like Jesus healed more than one blind man or more than one deaf person, he fed more than 5,000 people, and on this occasion, he fed many people as well. Now, the Pharisees came, and they began to question Jesus, to test him, to ask him for a sign. They wanted to see something so they could believe. Give us some clarity, Jesus. Help us to see things, and if we see them, we'll believe. Now, he just had fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. That's not much bread to feed all those people. He worked a miracle, but that wasn't enough. They wanted to see more so they could see clearly. Jesus sighed deeply, it says. That's encouraging to me. Have you ever had one of those happen? I mean, I've gotten in trouble for it. Growing up, my mom would say something, and I'd go, oh. you ever get in trouble for something like that? Yeah, Jesus sighed deeply when he heard these requests. And he left them. He said, I'll tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. He got back in the boat to cross over to the other side. Now, I want to talk about seeing things. Jesus saw the needs of the people. He saw the needs that they had, and he met them. But the disciples, they're right there. They saw everything that happened, but they missed, they missed some of the things that were most important. They had a hard time seeing what God wanted them to see. The same thing I think that I have a struggle with, and maybe you have a struggle with sometimes. We miss the main thing. We get so hung up on the things that are happening right now, we miss the big picture of what God wants to do. That was never more evident than what happened next in the story. They got in the boat. Verse 14 says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. They had all those basketfuls left over, but they didn't bring any bread with them in the boat. They only had one loaf. And then as they were thinking about this and talking about it, Jesus warned them. He said, watch out. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. But they didn't see what he was talking about. They discussed this with one another. They said, he's talking to us because we don't have any bread. <laughs> he's telling us, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees because we, we don't have enough bread. He's worried about the bread. 
And aware of his disciples, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Don't you get it? Don't you see what's really important? Clarity. Man, they didn't have any. You could just look at them going, huh? You're not talking about the bread, but you said be careful about the yeast. We thought you meant the bread. He says, do you have eyes but fail to see? Ears and fail to hear? Don't you remember that when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they answered. And he said to them, do you still not understand? <laughs> he was telling them, don't get caught up in the bread that is the stuff of earth. Keep your eyes on the bread that's the stuff of heaven, the bread of life. They didn't get it yet. So Jesus is going to give them a very real object lesson about seeing things clearly. It's a remarkable story. It happens immediately next in Mark's text. They came to Bethsaida. So the boat lands, they go on this little walk. As they get there, some people, as soon as Jesus lands, they bring a blind man, and the people beg Jesus to touch him. But Jesus took the blind man by the hand, and he led him outside of the village of Bethsaida. Now, you think just about this for a moment, right? He's blind. So Jesus takes him by the hand, and he walks him. And as he walks him, what does this require of the blind man? Trust. <laughs> He's trusting that wherever Jesus is taking him, Jesus isn't just going to leave him there by himself to fend for himself to get back. He's trusting that he, he, can, he can go somewhere with Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus talked to the man about as he walked him outside of the city. I don't know what he talked about. I can guess at what he talked about. I would bet that Jesus talked to him about things in his life that were to come, things that were important, spiritual things, but I don't know for sure. I, I say that because oftentimes Jesus would say things like, but so that you will know that the Son of Man has the power to heal, and then he would heal someone after he had told them something important. It's kind of a, of a sign that what I told you was true. The important part is Jesus walks this man outside of the city, and the man trusts Jesus to do the leading. And this is the hardest part, because a lot of times when we have a vision for what we want to see done, it's really hard to let go of it and let someone else take the lead. It's not easy to do that, even when it comes to Jesus. But the blind man demonstrated something remarkable, because he was willing to let him lead him. He was rewarded for that. Listen to how the story concludes. So he took the man by the hand, led him outside the village, and then he spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. I know here's spit in your eye. That's not a very nice thing. It, in fact, it could have been offensive. It has the idea here of, of how, Jesus, how God breathed life into his creation, that things that proceed from the mouth of God are healing things and helpful things and in this story, Jesus spits into his eye. Literally, he presses into his eyes the stuff of heaven, if you think about it. Since God was not just human, but also divine. And Jesus Christ. 
What I find remarkable in the story is, though, that the man is not instantaneously healed. He doesn't instantly have perfect sight. Listen to what it says in the text. Jesus does this. He says, do you see anything? Do you have any clarity? And the man says, well, I see people. They look like trees walking around. I don't know if it was because he didn't have great faith. I'm not sure what happened here, but he, he, he's touched by Jesus. Jesus has pressed into his eyes the stuff of heaven, and yet he can't see clearly. This story, perhaps more than a lot of others, gives me great comfort. Because sometimes we just need God to do a little bit more to help get us where we need to be. It's not that God hasn't done enough. He has. But for whatever reason, we just can't see it. We can't get it to happen. It doesn't click. And, and that was the case for this guy. I mean, he, he clearly wants to follow Jesus. He wants to see. He has belief. But when he starts to get healed, it still looks pretty murky out there. It, 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 he has some clarity. He sees more than he's ever seen before. But, but it, it's not clear. I mean, he's thinking, are people trees? You know, it's kind of an interesting thing that happens there. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were completely opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. I love that. Now, the part that's interesting is Jesus doesn't send him back to the village. He says, go home. Don't even go into the village. Just go home. Go see your family in a new way. If you had children, go see your children in a new way. If you had a wife, go see your wife in a new way. Go home first. See them, the people that are closest to you. And then see how the rest of the village looks, the rest of the people look. I love the story about vision Jesus going to extraordinary lengths to help people see clearly. I like that story there at the end because one of the things that Jesus does, he helps them to see familiar things in a brand new way. He knew the people who were around them by their voice, by their smell. He would have known things about the way they walked. He certainly could tell who people were that were around them by his other senses. They were familiar to him. But he's able to see them now in a brand new way. And I think that Jesus has the ability to help us see things that are very familiar to us in the world around us, but to see them in a brand new way. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that there was a report that was done by the Indiana Department of Transportation that says 4,037 cars go by Ogleville Christian Church every single day. That number's down a little bit from a few years ago, so perhaps not quite as many as before. The University of Michigan says that there are about 1.5 people in every one of those cars. I've never seen a 0.5 person, but if you see one, they go by our church every day. If that's true, and I think it probably is, that means that over 6,000 people go by our building every day. Now, granted, I go over it twice or three times a day when I go out to do things, and so does Virgil. So we'll say 5,960-some people uh, make trips out there as they go by. Now, one thing I know for certain about all those people that fly by here, and I say fly by because only about half of the people stop at our stop sign. They just go by. So, you know, that happens a lot. 
but it's still a good thing. There's a lot of people going by our building. If the old adage of real estate, location, location, location is true, we have a great location. Unfortunately, though, because people see the same landscape here every time they go past, they really probably don't focus much on things like our sign or the things that are going on here because the sign looks pretty much the same today as it did yesterday, and it'll probably look the same tomorrow. And so because it's the same, it's familiar, they kind of just fly by. That's why we sometimes work hard to get banners and put things up for special events, something new that might catch their eye, and it does pretty good until a windstorm comes along and blows it back down again. Because of that, we have some people who have vision here. There are some folks who have been very passionate about trying to get OCC a new sign. It's a good idea. A sign that can change, that can digitally put up information and announcements every week. A sign that doesn't blow over in the next windstorm. A sign that requires minutes, not days, to prepare, publish, and present new information. What's more, people will actually, those that do, they'll actually be able to stop and they can read three or four things. And we don't want to just put announcements on that, on that new sign. We want, we want to put the Bible on there, a verse of the day. Jesus said, my word doesn't return void. Imagine that. If kids on their way to school happen to catch a Bible verse as they're driving by, it's a good thing. You know, those, those passionate people have already given $41,600 towards the sign. The project will probably cost, it's estimated around $75,000. But because of their vision, they see something that could be different. I think that's remarkable. They're going to make a difference. They see the familiar and they'll help other people see the familiar in a brand new way. Oh, I want to have us as a church have vision. A vision to see the beauty of what could be, even when a person's life is a wreck, even when things are a disaster. I want us to see people kind of the way that we're coming to see this piece of property on our southeast corner. You know, we found out some things this last year. In late September, we had a tree blowover that was, was dangerous because of the way that it had fallen, and we had to get a tree company to come in and cut it down so that if one of our kids wandered over there, they wouldn't be injured by the tree if it fell. But when they cut the tree down, you may know what happened over there. As, as they got in there, we discovered that, that there were huge piles of broken glass back there. Tons of it, actually. And I have to tell you, I'm in, in debris and trash, and, and I'm really thankful because my kids played back there for the last 20 years. They never told me there was broken glass everywhere, or if they did, I didn't listen very well. And so our kids have been playing back there. Now, by the grace of God, no one ever got tetanus, right? Uh, but, but they were back there, so... We brought in uh, uh, some backhoes, and they started uh, bulldozers, and they, they filled one of those uh, industrial-sized containers so full of debris that the truck that came to get it couldn't lift it and haul it out of here. And they had to take the same backhoe and empty some of it out of that container and bring a second one in so they could get it all taken out of here. Well, then as that happened, we started clearing the land, and we decided we should put some soil down to cover up the glass we couldn't get, the little tiny pieces. And the next thing you know, what had been a briar patch and an ugly piece of land became something beautiful. And it's about to get more beautiful. Because some people that just caught a vision for what could be back there just came to me and they said, hey, I, I want to be a part of doing something beautiful on that space. And and donations started to come in. 
In fact, I can tell you today that $80,000 is already coming, and they're going to, we will have a, uh, it's already approved, the permit got approved on Monday or Tuesday. We, we're going to have a brand new little uh, uh, meeting space, shelter house, slash stage, slash natural amphitheater out there. It's going to be gorgeous. Sod's going to be laid out there, and that's already done because the people just caught a vision of what God could do in the dump. And transform the dump into a space where I want you to know that people are going to come to Jesus out there. Like, I'm disappointed because I had hoped we'd have our Easter service out there for all of us. I'm being told that might not get to happen. Although, you remember last week I said I believe that God could still fill Lake Mead. So, I still think he could get those beams here ahead of time. But we'll see what happens with that. Vision to see not trash, but a treasure. A hidden gem. Well, I don't want to just have a vision to see land like that. I want us to see people like that. I want us to see the lost and the hurting and the broken like that. I want us to have the vision to see things not just as they are, but as they can be. I want us to have that kind of vision. I want us to be able to see problems as opportunities. Now, those of you who are seated around the outside right now might feel something every time the wind blows hard, because the windows around us that are now pressing that 50-year mark, well, they're not perfect. Some of the seals are gone on those windows, and if you look close at them, a lot of the windows, uh, that stained glass that's up there, we've caulked it in, we've done things to try to make it stay and to do its best, but they're falling apart, they're aging, it's it's kind of our best-kept secret. You don't really notice it until you're close. But on that Sunday that the temperature was like minus 6, if you happened to sit under one of them, you felt these really icy blasts that were coming down at you every now and then. So we have to fix the windows. It's a problem, but we'll get it taken care of this year. But it's also an opportunity, something incredible. The same people who made this stained glass window said, you know what we want to do? We want to put in new stained glass we want to put the entire Bible on display around our sanctuary. And so at our budget meeting this year, we get this request from folks that are saying, we want to put in new stained glass, and so we're going to replace these windows and then put stained glass panels over them of the Bible. And I can't wait. Like, Genesis, the story of creation will be there, and the story of Revelation over here. And I've told them, let's not just do it in sequence, but let's mix it up a little bit, you know? So you're going to get stories out of sequence as they start to come into the space. And the preacher will preach on them. So every week when there's a brand new one of those things that comes to be, you're going to get a new sermon about whatever that panel is that day. How they take a problem, they turn it into an opportunity, something beautiful, to use their talents, to use their gifts. Are you getting what I'm after? I want us to see things, problems, people, opportunities differently. Not to see them just through my eyes, but through the eyes and the lens of faith. I love our missionaries, and several of them are seeing things in new ways. Virgil's very close to that. I want him to share just for a couple of minutes about some things that our, vision, that our missionaries are seeing right now. If I were to ask you what you're looking for in the signs of a healthy dog, <laughs> what would you tell me? If you want to know if your dog was healthy, what would you look for? What would you want to see? Well, you'd probably say something like a cold, wet nose. Yeah. Uh, tail wagging all over the place. These are the signs of a healthy dog. Well, I want us to see the world the way God sees it, particularly 
nearby and far away. I want us to have the eyes that see people who need Jesus. And so I want to tell you a little bit just about our missions program here by asking two questions and providing a few answers for those and then making one great appeal for our missions program. Question number one is this. How does OCC support mission work around the world? We support these by our weekly offerings. When you give money, some of it goes to missions and by designated gifts as people see a need and give to it as well. Under the authority of the elders, we have a missions team here at Ogleville that oversees and directs the selection of those missionaries and the mission projects that we're going to support. And we communicate with those missionaries and try to let them know that we love and appreciate them. We try to schedule them in from time to time to visit us and and let us get to know them and pray for them together. But here's some facts and numbers I want you to know about what happens when you give those offerings. It was set up years ago that every week, whatever general fund offerings come to the church, 10% of that money is automatically pulled off, pulled away, and set aside for mission, global mission endeavors. And through that offering, that 10% that's pulled off, we support now 15 mission organizations and missionaries around the world every month with the money that you give. In 2023, those offerings, 10% of our general fund, averaged $3,520 that was sent to those 15 missionaries every month. If you told that out over the year, that makes $42,240 of your money, your generous gifts that is going around the world to spread the gospel. Then again, on top of that money that's just automatically pulled out of the general fund gifts, we've had some designated gifts to the tune of some $25,000 plus for specific mission needs and projects that people know and love. So in 2023, hear this number. Ogleville sent out over $67,000 to take the gospel of Christ around the world. That's how we support our missions. Question two, what does our missions giving do then? Well, okay, we give these people money. That's nice. But what happens with it? What do they do with it? What kind of things are they trying to do to make the world a better place? Well, our missions dollars go to a lot of different projects or a lot of different efforts. One of those is worldwide cross-cultural evangelism. In other words, people who are in a different place, different language, different setting are there preaching and teaching the gospel. Christian Missionary Fellowship uh, specializes in third world countries. FAME specializes in medical evangelism. Cross-culturally, the word of God is going out. They also provide Christian education. We support Louisville Bible College in Louisville, Kentucky. We support Columbus Christian School. Christian education is being done by these organizations. Church planting is being done. Churches are starting, being planted. I am very heavily involved in a mission in Mexico called Vida Nueva Ministries. When the mission was first started in the late 80s, one of the goals was to plant a Christian church in each of the states of Mexico where there is none. And so far, our mission has planted churches in five different states in Mexico. More on the way. That's wonderful. Church planting. Feeding programs. We've got our own here on the second Saturday of the month. We also know that many other organizations that we give this money to feed people. 
satisfy their hungers, and maybe they're more willing to listen to the word. Benevolence help is provided. IDES up in Noblesville does, does ministry where they go into places where there's a crisis, a flood, a tornado, or whatever, and they help people rebuild their homes, they rebuild school buildings, they rebuild church buildings. So there's benevolence help. There's local ministries, Hilltop Camp, Clarity, the police chaplaincy, all of these, again, local, right here in our area, that get our support from this. There's discipleship that's being done around the world. Our own uh, um, Matt and Karen McLean are in, New Mex- are in Arizona, among the Indian people there, discipling them, trying to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's leadership training. Again, we focus on Hilltop. If you polled preachers that you know, many of them would tell you that they made their decision to enter the ministry at church camp. And so we're glad for that. Leaderships are being trained. Again, a lot of these others as well. Training local people to carry on the work. And there's Bible translation, the Wycliffe Bible translators that we support. What I'm trying to get you is a large umbrella here of how we're seeing people nearby and far away that need Jesus, and we want to do that. Two questions, some answers. Let me gently appeal to you here to say our best response, along with our gifts, is to pray often for these workers. Many times they're far away from home, far away from their home, far away from their families, far away from what's comfortable. Sometimes they're in very difficult and dangerous situations. Pray for them. When they come, encourage them, welcome them, love on them, dote on them. Send them cards, send them letters, send them texts and emails. Let them know you're in their, they're in your thoughts. And again, we want to pause and say thank you for your generous support of seeing people in a brand new and fresh way, people that need Jesus. Well, we want to make sure that you have clarity about the vision that our church has and how the church is trying to see people, how we're trying to see and use our, our finances. We want you to see that. And I want you to know something that I think is really remarkable, that we see our responsibility to help people around us. Jesus saw the responsibility to feed and to, to take care of physical needs, mental health needs, all those things. He did that. And as a church, we're trying to do that as well. There are some other ministries I just want to quickly say that, that are happening, and I want you to know about them so you can pray about them, and if you need them, you can access them. The church offers help and access to mental health counseling. Certainly Virgil, Zach, and I do a lot of counseling, but if a person has a deeper need than that, uh, or if it's a certain kinds of, of crises or addictions you fight, we frequently help you get access to mental health care. And the church will provide at least six sessions with some Christian counselors in the area to help people that are in a crisis at no cost to the member. It's a gift that we give because we believe in our people. We want to help people who are in need. There are a number of other ministries that happen that have the goal of helping people. I'm excited to tell you that we have re-emphasized our call to help people battling addictions, and you'll see new information coming about how we're re-energizing some addictions ministry programs here. Myra Hurt has presented to us the idea of a health ministry. She's a licensed nurse, and, and, and you know she actually has a concern for the health of the staff. I don't know why she would think that's an issue, and the health of the church, and she's, she has a passion to try to do some things, and she's doing them. It's going to be amazing. I love it that our people are catching a glimpse of how they can use their gifts and talents for the Lord and serving him and serving others. 
There's one more thing that's very, very important to me I want to share with you this morning as we talk about vision, and that's I want us to see God's Word in a new way. You know, a lot of us have the Bible, and we look at it from time to time, but, but it's just not something that's as much a part of our life as it needs to be. I've been doing this through the Bible in 100 days, trying to read through the whole Bible. I'm about 11 or 12 chapters behind right now, but I'll catch up, maybe even this afternoon. But as I'm reading through that, I'm, I'm reminded again of just how rich God's Word is and how it helps us. And, and as I've been thinking about that, there's this thing that's coming in, in late October or early November I want to tell you about, because I'm super excited about it. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 3, we read these words, Blessed is the one who reads aloud these words of prophecy, and blessed are those who hear them. Revelation 1, 3. So in late October, early November, we're going to do this incredible thing here. We're going to do this live reading event. It'll, it, it takes about, it doesn't take as long as you think to read the whole book. Well, it'll take about two and a half hours to do the whole thing, and there'll be an intermission. And, and everything that night is just straight reading the Word of God. When you walk in, you'll hear someone say, come and hear a word that comes from the Lord, straight from Ezekiel. And then when you're in this place that night, you're going to hear the reading, and we, we're going to try to do this other neat thing, and that is wherever it says, I heard, you'll hear that sound. So it'll be a sight and sound event. So if it said, I heard something that sounded like thunder, you'll hear thunder. If it says, I heard a trumpet blast, you'll hear my, Keith to- my friend Keith told, blast on a trumpet. You're going to hear the sounds of Revelation, and you'll see some of the sights of it. If it says there was a flash of lightning, you may see a flash of lightning in this very room. And God's already been blessing that project. And, and it says in there that God makes, uh, he has John eat a scroll. Well, I've been sharing this vision with some people, and this person says, you know what we could do? We can make scroll-shaped cookies, and we can eat them at the intermission. So at intermission, some pretty remarkable things coming straight from the text. Now, I'm not going to expound on it. Is it, is it I, I probably have to put a label on it because Revelation's a little scary. There's some scary stuff. It might come with a parental guidance suggested label or something for kids. And people who don't like loud booms probably want to watch it in the other room instead of in here because it, it'll have its moments because the book says some pretty loud things happen. But we're going to just do it word for word. We're not adding to it or taking away. We're just doing a word for word. And if it says they see it, we're going to try to let you see it. If it says they heard it, you're going to try to hear it. If it says they tasted it, you might even get to taste it. I'm excited about bringing God's word out in front of people. I actually think that just reading it and taking the time, for those of you who come for one of those nights to hear the program, I think it'll be changing and transformative to it. As I've been reading through it and getting this thing ready and dividing up who's going to read what and what the needs are going to be and reading through it over and over, I've been struck by something. If you read all of it in one setting, it's not nearly as frightening. It actually makes a lot more sense that way. But if you just read one passage, that could be terrifying by itself. So we're not going to try to scare anybody that night. That's not our goal. It's not a Halloween scare house. It's just reading the word of Revelation. It's, it's though meant to encourage people and to bless people because, you know what? People need to hear God's word. And we maybe need to hear the fact that while God promises to be incredibly gracious to us, he also warns us that if you don't obey me, some bad stuff can happen. And today, a lot of people don't want to hear that part. They just want to hear all the good parts about God, but not understand the warnings. So maybe it's an appropriate time to read the book of Revelation. Oh, there are a lot of other things I could talk about, but the most important thing on a Sunday morning for you to see is Jesus. So let's close the way that Peter closed out his discourse with Jesus, the way that Mark closes out Mark chapter 8. 
after all those other things had happened and they'd seen the man healed of his blindness, they'd seen the 4,000 fed, Jesus now asked them the most important question about their vision. He asked them, how do you see me? You see how I see the world. You see how I see people. You see how I see illness. You see how I see hunger. You've seen all those things about me, but how do you see me? That's the question Jesus asked. It's a question not just for, for them, but a question for us. We need to answer this question, how do I see Jesus? Who is he to me? This is how it went down in Mark chapter 8. In verse 27, Jesus said to his disciples, he went, up, he went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi, and on, one, on the way he asked them, guys, who do people say I am? How do they see me? <clears throat> they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say you're one of the prophets. But Jesus looked at them and he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then that beautiful moment happens. The great confession of faith is given for the first time. Peter was the first one to give the great confession. He said, you are the Christ. When people come to faith, that's what we ask them, right? The good confession says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. Having seen who Jesus was, what Jesus had done, how Jesus treated people, Peter said, you're the one. There's no one like you. Jesus, you're unique in all of history. You're the one. And Peter would follow him even to his death. Some hiccups along the way to be certain, but faithful unto death. I want you to see the world the way Jesus sees it, but I want you to see Jesus the way the apostles saw him, as the one, the only one who can save us, the only one who offers real hope for our world. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you accept him today as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?